Pastor Xavier Reese. And a reminder that Jesus is the fulfillment of God's promise. The Old Testament spoke of the prophetic types and shadows of things to come. Jesus being the fulfillment of all of that thing. But they were trying to hang on to the shadows and the types. They didn't want to believe and accept that Christ was the fulfillment of it. That is a big problem. They were seeking to establish their own righteousness. Rejecting God and trying to establish their own. Through self-righteousness, they rested and boasted in the law. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. The Bible clearly states that you can't hang on to the deeds of the past, because a true relationship with God is renewed fresh every waking day. However, Pastor Xavier reminds us, far too many people have put a false confidence on what they have done in the past, or in their heritage, rather than pursue an ongoing relationship with the Lord. Open your Bible to the book of Romans, chapter 9, for today's study, The Need for Israel to be Saved. Uh, Paul opened up his discourse of chapter 9 with God's divine initiation to Israel by dealing with their past as God sovereignly chose and decreed His purpose without violating man's free will. The ninth chapter tells us how God chose Israel. He proclaimed in first five verses his genuine love for Israel by desiring their salvation at the expense of his own damnation. Though it wasn't necessary or possible, he laid his heart out. In verse 6 through 13, he proclaimed the failure was not with the word of God, but not all were physical descendants. Even though, even though they were physical descendants, they weren't necessarily children of the promise by the seed of Isaac and Jacob. And then from 19 to 24, he proclaimed that God's purpose and decrees are sovereign and they're just and righteous, never violating man's free will, illustrated by Pharaoh and the potter of clay. Now, usually those are used to prove Calvinism. They teach just the opposite. God didn't force Pharaoh. He gave him plenty of time to repent. Okay? Very important. And then in verses 25 to 29... He proclaimed the prophetic call of the Gentiles in the Old Testament and God's merciful preservation of the remnant of Israel. Now Paul moves on to deal with Israel's present human responsibility to exercise free will in response to God's initiation by the word of the gospel. From verse 30 here down to chapter 10, verse 13, their present need of salvation through the gospel is presented, which we're going to look at. So for our study, we want to examine Israel's present need of salvation through the gospel, which is characterized by three things. Let me read here from verse 30 down to chapter 10. What shall we say then? That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness of faith. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness has not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they did not seek it by faith. But as it were, by the works of the law, for they stumble at the stumbling stone. As it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness which is of the law. 
The man who does those things shall live in them and buy them. But the righteousness of faith speaks in this way. Do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down from above, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that is the word of faith which we preach. That if you confess with your mouth and the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between the Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon all. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And so, the present need of salvation through the gospel is characterized by the following. First, verse 30 to 33 of chapter 9, Israel's rejection of God's righteousness. Israel's rejection of God's righteousness. Then verse 1 to 4 of chapter 10, Israel's exaltation of their own righteousness. And then 5 through 13, Israel's exhortation to accept God's righteousness. It's a plea of love. They need to be saved. Let's begin here with Israel's rejection of God's righteousness. Verse 30 to 33 of chapter 9. Notice first in verse 30 and 31, the Apostle Paul gives the obvious conclusion of Israel's lost condition, marking the dilemma of the Jewish mind. The inevitable question is, what shall we say then? This looks back to what he had just said. In view of the illustration of the potter and the clay, quoting Isaiah 29, 16, if you look back to verse 20 of chapter 9, the rebuke is for their irreverence. But indeed, O oh man, who are you who replies against God? Literally, who are you to answer back God? The ludicrousness is illustrated by the object formed saying to the one who formed it, why have you made me like this? Now the one form is man, the creature. The one who formed man is the creator. You can't miss the illustration. Jeremiah, if you remember, was sent to the house of the potter to show the sovereign judgment of God over Israel because of the lack of obedience and repentance in, in uh, Jeremiah 18.11. The illustration of the clay in the hand of the potter emphasized the clay to yield or not to yield. Isaiah 45, 9 says, Woe to him who strives with his maker. When it says you strive with your maker, that means you can resist him. When people tell you you can't resist God, that's a lie. He doesn't force you to go to heaven or hell. You're a free will. Moral agent. Now look at 21 and verse 9 there. The potter had the power and the right over the clay, right? To make the vessels of honor and dishonor of the same lump, right? The potter. The illustration is to emphasize the sovereignty of God. Not that God created evil people and they're evil. For what would it do if we believed that? It would make God the source of the evil. And then he would be unjust as a judge when he punished you for the evil that he made you to do, Right? The teaching is from the lesser to the, of the clay, the vessel, to the greater, the potter. Now your choice and mine can be for evil or wrong, but God's choices are never wrong. 
They're always based on perfect wisdom. Notice in verse 30 now. The inevitable conclusion of the salvation of the Gentiles once again comes through the rhetorical question. That Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained to righteousness? Even the righteousness of faith? The answer is yes. The righteousness Paul is referring to is faith in the provision of, by God the Father who is Jesus Christ apart from the law. Three times the word righteousness is used and qualified on the third one. It says even the righteousness of faith. So that's what he's talking about. About trusting Jesus Christ. This is the, the running theme beginning chapter 1 verse 16 and 17. The just shall live by faith according to Habakkuk 2.4. This was the perplexing question of the Jew. The salvation of the Gentiles. If we're the people of God, why aren't we saved? Because the Jew believed that the Gentile had been created to kindle the fires of hell. You see, they did believe in the chosen frozen. <laughs> Look at 31. The inevitable pitiful condition of Israel is that they are not saved. Also comes through a rhetorical question. But Israel pursuing the law of righteousness... Has not attained to the law of righteousness? The answer is yes, they have not. Because they pursued it through the law of righteousness, the law of sacrifice and ritual. The obvious contrast between the two conditions is marked by the phrase, but Israel. Contrasting conjunction. The law of righteousness, take note, is referring to the old covenant animal sacrifice. The law was perfect, man was imperfect. And so he failed always. The law accused and judged man guilty before God. It had the power to demand, but not the power to impart, to obey. Can't force you. The law was temporary, the tutor, to bring us to Christ, prophetic of Christ, Galatians 3.24. Now notice at the end of 30, or the 32 to the beginning, the Apostle Paul stated the obvious reason for Israel's rejection. The rejected condition. Though the answer is overtly obvious at this point, Paul calls out for the answer anyway by asking, Why? Why? Why have the Gentiles attained righteousness, the righteousness of Jesus Christ? And why has Israel not obtained righteousness, the righteousness of the law? That's exactly why. Israel refused to believe the word of God regarding the principle of faith in the promised Messiah. Verse 32 tells us. They refused it. Because they did not seek it. Here it is. By faith. Faith in Christ. They were believing by works. There's the problem. Is it God's fault? No. Was it the Gentiles' fault? No. Whose fault was it? Israel. They refused to believe Jesus was the Father's provision of righteousness promised Adam and Eve in Genesis 3.15. They refused to believe that Jesus Christ was the Father's provision of righteousness as a promised seed to Abraham in Genesis 12.3 and other passages and confirming Galatians 3.16. They refused to believe that Jesus was the God, God himself becoming man, the Father's provision for righteousness as he told Isaiah, a virgin shall bear a son, shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7, 14, 9, 6. A child is born, a son is given. Fulfilled in Matthew 1, 23. His name is Emmanuel, God with us. They refuse to believe that. You understand? You cannot be saved if you don't believe that. Notice Israel rebelled, rebelled not believing the principle of works, 
listen, as preparatory for the Messiah. But as it were, by the works of the law. They refused to go or to let go of that righteousness of the law. It was, it was kind of a pride thing. I do this, I do that, and I don't do that. You understand what I'm talking about? All of us have that problem if we're not careful with Jesus. They refuse to recognize that the righteousness of the entire system of law and its works reveal their imperfection regarding the sacrifices. They had to be repeated. The whole book of Hebrews tells you that. Every time you have to keep repeating it over and over and over again. Insufficient. The blood and bull of goats could not forgive you of sin. They were used for the payment to come. Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God. They refused to see that the entire sacrificial system declared that man was incapable of ceasing the sin. We keep sinning. We're imperfect. I wish I could tell you that I never sinned since I was born again 36 years ago. But I'd be a liar. And don't look so smug, you would too. But my life is drastically different. I don't practice sin anymore. I don't live there anymore. You understand? There's a big difference. They refuse to acknowledge that the entire priesthood office, as well as the high priest, called them to constant work. There was no chair in the tabernacle of the Holy of Holies. The priest was always walking around doing work. He had bells on the bottom of his, of his garment, so you could always hear him moving around. If, if there was no, no sound of bells, that means God struck him dead. You had to drag him out and get another priest. Interesting. Now look at the end of 32 and 33. The Apostle Paul stated the scriptural verification for Israel's rejection. Israel refused to believe the ways of God. Listen to me. For they stumbled at that stumbling stone. They refused to believe the ways of God. They allowed what God intended for their blessing to become their downfall. The word stumble means to strike against, such as the foot against a stone. By the phrase stumbling stone, lithos. Right there. The word stumble is used of Satan in the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And he tells him that, um, he says, if you be the son of God, throw yourself down for it is written. He shall give the angels charge over you and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Satan's good at quoting scripture out of context. <laughs> the stone identifies Jesus, mark that well, the provision of the father for righteousness and will be confirmed in the next verse. The stone was intended for their benefit, not for their hindrance. So God is not at fault. The stone was to be a stepping stone to get to God. The stone was to make their feet steady, steadfast, and sure before God. When you're going to cross a, a creek or a stream, you're not looking for a rock that's beneath the water, but above the water. And you're not looking for a little one that totters. You're looking for a big one that's solid. If you're not standing on this stumbling stone, on this one that if you fall upon, uh, you will be broken. But if it falls upon you, it will crush you. This is the only stable stone for you to stand on. Look at 33. Israel refused to agree with God. As it is written, behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone, a rock of offense. And whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. The quotation is from Isaiah regarding Israel's rejection of trusting God against Assyria in Isaiah 8.14. So the context is the rebellion back then. Isaiah was to agree, not agree, or talk like the people regarding the conspiracy there in the book of Isaiah. God says, you talk and you 
walk as I tell you. Not like the people who are being deceived. They're not trusting me. And the second quote is Isaiah 28, 16. It also is from Isaiah regarding the rejection of God's word and God trusting God rather than Egypt. So the first one is Syria. They're trusting Assyria instead of God. Now they're not trusting God, but they're trusting Egypt. Both passages deal with their rejection of trusting God. Their disobedience to God. The people had made a covenant with hell and death and would stumble over the stone in Zion. That's the location. Mark it well. It's the stone, the rock of offense that lay at Zion. This was Yahweh's doing by the personal pronoun. I, Zion is Jerusalem. It's Mount Moriah. It's where the temple was to be built. The prophecy was the invitation to trust Jesus Christ, the Messiah, for their righteousness before God. And they were allowing that stone to be the stumbling stone. Because they didn't agree with God, and they didn't agree with the ways of God. The offer, whoever believes on Him. There's the offer. The promise will not be put to shame, indicating will not be rejected. You know, Luther attempted to merit God's salvation, as you know, his favor by many different ways. To afflicting his body, doing all kinds of works, making himself suffer. God never intended that. It wasn't until he came to the realization that it was by the grace of God through faith, the book of Galatians, that he was totally liberated. And the Reformation started. What a difference it made for him. The Bible is clear that man is a fallen sinner. He has a deceitful heart, desperately wicked, Jeremiah 17, 9. He's a liar, Romans 3, 4. He's an enemy of God, Romans 5, 3. He's under God's wrath, headed for hell, Romans 1, 18. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ is God who became man to redeem sinful man. But many like Israel continue to reject him. Listen to Psalm 118, 22-23. The psalmist tells us that Jesus' the stone would be rejected by the builders, but would become the chief cornerstone by the Lord's doing, being the key to hold the entire building together. You know the keystone, that's the thing that holds the thing together. Ties it up. Jesus identifies himself as that stone in Matthew 21, 42, Mark 12, 10, and 11. He says, this is referring to me, the rejection by the Jews of me. I am that chief cornerstone. Wow. Israel's rejection of God's righteousness left them, listen, unsaved. Unsaved. Notice next, Israel's exaltation of their own righteousness is presented Verse 1 through 4 of chapter 10 there. In verse 1, the Apostle Paul declared his uh, intercession for Israel's salvation. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer for, to God for Israel is that they may be saved. Paul's passionate intercession here is stated to the brethren, the Christian that he's writing to. Those in Rome. To clear up this misunderstanding that he hated Israel. Despite their constant persecution of him, he didn't hate them, he loved them. He already told us that in chapter 9. He could wish himself a curse. But he also wrote to provoke them to join him in prayer for Israel. Very important. Now notice Paul's intercession for Israel was evident by his heart's desire in prayer to God. The phrase there, my heart's desire, implies a sincere and fervent delight and pleasure. The extent of his love for Israel has already been stated, as we said, 
He could wish himself a curse, though it wasn't possible or necessary in chapter 9, verse 1 through 3. Yet he's pouring out his heart. He's laying it before them. The word prayer means supplication, pleading, entreating on behalf of their lostness. The word is used by the angel Gabriel when he uh, spoke to John the Baptist's father. He says, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. Luke 1.13. What prayer? His wife was barren. He was there in seating. And God made her conceive. Prayer. Power of prayer. Now notice verse 2. The apostle Paul declared the failure of Israel's zeal for salvation. Their zeal was religious, not righteous. For I bear them witness that they have a seal for God. Paul identified with such zeal. He was a Jew before. By Paul's zeal for the persecution of the Christian. Persecuting, killing Christians. Causing them to blaspheme God. The zealots were Jews who vowed at all costs to overthrow the power of Rome on every opportunity. Zealots. Notice their zeal was completely wrong. Listen to the words, but not according to knowledge. That's the key. That's what made it wrong. They had the law, the writings, and the prophets. They had the promises of God, but they failed to understand the entire plan of God. They were acting on information that was partial at best. The Old Testament was a progressive revelation through the various patriarchs and prophets, as you know. The Old Testament spoke of the prophetic types and shadows of things to come. Jesus being the fulfillment of all of that thing. But they were trying to hang on to the shadows and the types. They didn't want to believe and accept that Christ was the fulfillment of it. That is a big problem. They had the scriptures that Abraham believed God and it was counted to him for righteousness. Genesis 15, 16. Paul pointed out in chapter 4 already. But they rejected it. They had the promise of the Messiah back in Genesis 3.15, Isaiah 7.14 as we said. They, they had crucified the Messiah. Matthew, Mark, Luke and John all recorded. They were seeking to establish their own righteousness. Rejecting God and trying to establish their own. Through self-righteousness they rested and boasted in the law, Paul said in Romans 2.17. Through relying on their circumcision, Romans 2.25-29. Through trusting their deeds of the law for their justification before God, a self-righteousness, Romans 3.20 and 9.33. That's the problem. Look at verse 4. The Apostle Paul declared their failure to acknowledge Christ as salvation. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Paul stated Jesus Christ was the fulfillment of the law. The word end means termination, fulfillment. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 19.30 from the cross. It is finished. Same word. Jesus said, do not think that I have come to destroy the law and the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. Matthew 5.17. And so Jesus was the goal of the law. Paul said the law was a schoolmaster. To lead us to Christ, Galatians 3, 4. The word schoolmaster or tutor is a pedagogue. A pedagogue was a person entrusted to a child to take him from the home to the school so he doesn't get in trouble, from school to the home to protect him. That's what the law was for us. To give us boundaries and to say, I'm going to protect you because you're a troublemaker. Here are the boundaries. <laughs> Paul stated the fulfillment of the law by Christ is the provision for everyone who believes. Mark it well. No one's excluded or hindered from coming. 
No one has been predestined to not believe. The righteousness of the law and worse competes against the righteousness of faith and grace. The righteousness of faith complies with grace. Pastor Xavier Reese with a reminder that salvation is available to all who choose to believe. Now, if you'd like a copy of today's study on CD, ask for The Need for Israel to be Saved. They're available for only $4. And this CD will include the complete message as it was originally delivered. Once again, the title to ask for is The Need for Israel to be Saved. Or simply mention today's date. You can request your copy by writing Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then join us for more Simple Truths next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com 